Today's message is week 7 in the series Return of the King in the book of 1 Thessalonians. This message will be covering some material that may be inappropriate for younger audiences. Please use discretion. Pastor Greg McCormick is preaching and has entitled this message Sexual Intimacy, Worship or Weapon, which covers 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through 8, which reads, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Today I'm here, and we're going to continue in our journey through uh, 1 Thessalonians. We're going to land at chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And I'm not going to teach as I normally do, or I go verse by verse, because the theme of this passage is crystal clear. It's crystal clear. Paul is talking about sexual intimacy here. And so, you know, I'm going to tell you right up front, and Lee said it already, if you've got young kids in here and you're concerned about what they're going to hear, now would be a good time to take them out. Uh, I am not going to be graphic or explicit, but I will be straightforward, okay? And uh, I will tell you this, though, I, I highly doubt that there's much that I will say that has a shock factor to any of your kids sitting in this place. I, I highly doubt it. So, this is, a, this is a, 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 a topic that I'm passionate about, and here's why. I was eight years old when I was exposed to sex for the very first time. Taken as a topic for this, this uh, message today, by the way, sexual intimacy, worship or weapon. Worship or weapon. Eight years old when I was exposed to sex for the first time. And you guys know I was born and raised in a church, and it was a church girl that exposed me to sex for the very first time. I had no idea what had just hit me, none. But I'll tell you, I was hooked instantly. Instantly. Sex became my addiction. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the place that I was in. I, was, I remember the time. I remember who was in the room with me. Like yesterday, I remember it. And that was over 40 years ago. The memory seared in my brain like it was yesterday. My first encounter with sex led me down a road of sexual promiscuity that I carried into my marriage. And regretfully, that baggage almost destroyed my marriage. But I thank God for two things. First, for his grace and for a praying woman that understands the love of God. And so today, Pelzetta and I have been happily married for 33 years. We feel blessed because we've recovered 
from this, this gripping thing that's become part of our culture, we've recovered, and it's really a miracle because there are a lot of people that don't recover and end up where we are doing what we're doing right now. They just don't. Marriages fail because of sexual immorality. It goes to say that, you know, we are in a society, a world that is filled with sexual immorality. The culture we live in is saturated with sex. It's glorified at every turn, from cosmetics to cars, information to insurance, everything has some kind of sexual connotation and sexual imagery behind it because it works. Sex sells. In every possible form of media, the message of sex rings loud and clear. If I drive a certain car, if I wear a certain suit, if I drink a certain drink, if I eat a certain food at a certain restaurant, or if I wear a certain perfume or cologne, I'll get to have sex. And if you do what I do, you can have sex too. And every day and in every way, we are bombarded with the message of sex. And the message is, listen, you can't ignore it, so go ahead and explore it. The world has done a masterful job with teaching us what it wants us to know about sex, reducing sex down to almost a merely, a purely animalistic instinct and behavior. If it feels good, do it. It's okay. There's no consequences involved. The world has done a masterful job with this portrayal of sex. And on the other hand, the church has done a woeful job with defining for God's people what God's original intent and purpose for sexual intimacy is. And so today, when you, as you're listening to me, you are going to be met with, at a crossroad. I'm going to leave you today faced with the decision on what path you choose to take. God's path to sexual purity and sexual intimacy or the one that the world is determining and dictating for you to take. One path leads to devastation and destruction. And family, the other path will lead to life and lasting love and covenant relationship. And you're going to have to choose today. You're going to have to choose. So I want to be really, really crystal clear about the point of the message today. I want to be very, very clear, and here's the point. Having sex changes everything. Having sex changes everything. As a matter of fact, I don't think I have ever met a person that said to me, Pastor Greg, you know what? I've had sex and nothing changed. My life is still the same. Because it's not true. And if anybody tells you that, they're lying to you. Because having sex changes everything. And before we go any further, I want to give you a few definitions. First, let me define sex. I'm going to give you the, the best definition of sex that I've seen. It comes from Dr. William Kuderer in his, in his book, Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. And he defines sex as any activity, watch this now, that intentionally stirs the desire for physical intimacy. Any activity that intentionally stirs the desire for physical intimacy. 
magazine sex, phone sex, text sex. I think they call it sexting now. Cyber sex. Sex on the internet, pornography, all these things, brothers and sisters, are, are forms of sex. And then somewhere in the, in the mid to late 90s, our society came up with this term called outer course. It's where there's intentional prolonged contact such as petting and, and necking and deep kissing without physical intercourse. Here's what I want you to hear me say today. If you're engaged in any of these activities, and even some that I haven't named, that leads you intentionally into physical intimacy or the desire for it, you're having sex. You're having it. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside the bond of marriage. Biblical marriage, what is the biblical definition of marriage? It is a commitment to a one-on-one, a one-to-one lifetime union between a man and a woman. Marriage is the binding covenant. So what is covenant? Covenant is a binding agreement between two parties, each assuming some obligation to, to maintain this, this, this agreement to carry it out to its fullest. Person is only released from a marriage covenant when, by biblical standards, the marriage vows have been broken. And two reasons the Bible gives us is sexual immorality and death. Marriage is a is a covenant, it's a sacred covenant. It's a covenant that had its beginning all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 23, where the Bible says, Man said, then man said, I last. This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. And therefore, covenant relationship now, shall a man leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, his woman, and the two would become one, one flesh. It's what I call the one factor, the oneness factor. One man, one woman, one relationship, two becoming one for the rest of their lives. Till death do us part. Marriage is a, is a lifelong covenant made between a man and his wife. And it's how God has intended for it to be. Why? Because he knew marriage was good. Marriage is good. And sex is designed to be the consummation of the marriage covenant. God has purposefully, purposefully, ordained sex to be enjoyed within the bonds of marriage. You know why? Because sex is good. And sex is, is powerful. It's a powerfully emotional and physical and spiritual experience designed by God himself to create lasting covenant and bond between married couples. It's by design. And sex within the bond of marriage is an act of worship. There is no greater relationship that illustrates the love of God more than a man and a woman coming together in covenant relationship as one flesh. It's an act of worship that glorifies and honors our Father because it is the way that God designed sex to be. God has designed the gift of sex to create oneness 
in marriage. That's why sex outside of marriage is unsanctioned by God. It may feel good. It may even feel right. But if it's outside of the bond of marriage, it is unsanctioned by God. The world tells us you can have sex outside of marriage. Go ahead. It's okay. It's all right. It's no big deal. You won't get pregnant. Dude, she she won't get pregnant. Don't worry about it. You'll be okay. No big deal. But having sex is a big deal because having sex changes everything. The Bible declares for us in Psalms 139.14 that our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. The brain inside our body is the most powerful organ in our body. It's the most potent sex organ in our body. It controls all sex drives. Everything that revolves around sex starts in our brain first. It's the battleground for all sexual activity. It begins right here first. The brain takes input from all five of our senses and immediately begins to process it into thought. You hear it. You see it. You smell it. You taste it. You touch it. And the brain takes these sensations, processes them into thought. Your thoughts become actions, and then your actions create experiences. So that when we experience something that's enjoyable or traumatic, our brain releases a chemical that sears the image of that experience into our minds permanently. And our brain doesn't store experiences by date or by time. It stores them as memories. And and so what happens, these memories that we carry with us for the rest of our lives can be recalled instantly by some kind of trigger, by certain triggers in our brain. So when our brain is triggered, it reaches back and it grabs those memories and it pulls them to the present as if it just happened right now. And that's why you can hear an old song. You can hear an old song and it'll take you back to the first date that you had, like yesterday. You can have a traumatic experience and you're in the throes of of something that reminds you of that and it'll take you back instantly to that traumatic experience. About 10 years ago or so, my wife was involved in in a car accident and it was pretty serious. And to this day, if I'm driving too fast, and Lord have mercy, pray for the pastor, because every now and then I do drive too fast. I know. But every now and then if I'm driving too fast and it looks like the car might go away, when I watch my wife hit the brakes, and she's on the pastor side. She hits the brakes and she's grabbing for stuff. Why? Because she got into an accident, and the, the image of that accident, when the car feels like it's out of control, those memories come back. Instantly, the brain recalls them as if it is yesterday, and the body responds. When we engage in sex, our brain sears the experience in our minds, and it's retained in our memories forever. It just becomes part of who we are, and we carry it around with us for the rest of our lives. That's why when it comes to physical intimacy, 
Satan uses sex as a weapon of mass destruction. You don't have to wait. Enjoy it now. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. Let me tell you, I had four conversations this week, and this week was not unusual. Four conversations with local pastors this week involving God-fearing people that got involved in untimely, intimate relationships, and they, their lives now, the impact has been debilitating. It's sad to watch. But that's the consequence of sexual immorality. When it comes to sex, God's not trying to withhold this incredible gift from us. Instead, what he wants to do is he wants to try to protect us from the devastation that will result from sexual immorality. Why? Because having sex changes everything. So when it comes to sexual intimacy, if you're not married, don't do it. Wait. From our passage, uh, our passage today, the Apostle Paul, he continues his encouraging words that we've been hearing throughout this entire series. And he's encouraging the church in Thessalonica just as he's encouraging us today. He says, listen, you guys have been doing some amazing things. He begins the word, the, the, the chapter here with the word finally. And that word finally means to the rest of what I have to say to you. He says, first, keep doing what you're doing. Because God is pleased with your life. Keep doing it. He says, next, what I'm about to tell you is going to require that you step it up a bit. It's going to require even greater vigilance. If you want to live a sanctified life, and, and sanctification is simply the ongoing pursuit of Christ's likeness. If you want to live a sanctified life or a life that's holy or set apart, if you want to live a life that honors God, honor God with your body. It is God's will for you to abstain from sexual immorality. That's the message. Here's why. Paul says, sexual immorality defiles you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit in whom God's Spirit dwells. We'll talk about that more. Sexual immorality also dismantles dreams. Dismantles them. You've seen it. You've heard of it. You've seen people that you know get derailed by untimely relationships. I was at a local hardware store last week. Walked into the store, brought some stuff with me. The clerk took it to the back, and I found myself face-to-face -face with this young lady. She's behind the counter, and I'm standing here, and it was a God moment. Because she asked me a question, and I answered the question, and then I asked her a question, and she began to pour out her heart. I found out she was a follower of Christ, loves Jesus, highly educated, super motivated, fulfilling her dream, got involved with the guy who had 
bad intentions. Got in a lot of trouble. She got involved intimately with him. Her life became intertwined with his. They became one. And the same downward spiral that he was experiencing has become part of her life. And I asked her, I said, if this guy has so much trouble and if his, if his path is, is taking you contrary to the one that you're on, why are you still with him? She says, I don't know. I said, are you involved with them intimately? She said, yes. I said, there's the problem. She said, I, I, I can't help it. I want to get away, but my heart my heart is drawn towards this guy. I just want to help him. She got involved with this man. And that act, that act of an untimely relationship has dismantled her dreams. How many people do you know of where that's happened? Sexual immorality destroys people. It destroys people. I know people who have been caught up in affairs and when the sin and the pleasure that they've enjoyed runs this course and the consequences hit, lives are left devastated in the wake of it. Devastated. And here's, here's the truth. You can choose the sin, but you can never choose the consequences. God says, I, I will repay. This thing is so dear to my heart. He says, I will avenge anyone who finds themselves destroying other people's lives due to sexual immorality. And he warns us. Paul warns us in this passage, be careful. Beware. Verse 7, chapter 4, Paul says, God has not called us to sexual impurity but to holiness. The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones have been charged by God to live our lives differently from the world. We've been called to live a life that honors God with our bodies. In verse 8 says, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Destroys people. Sexual immorality destroys. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul goes into a deeper definition or detail of, of sexual immorality and, and its effect on the church. As he writes to the church in Corinth and he tells them how to stay away from sexual immorality, how to stay out of it. And he wrote this letter to them because at, at, at that time, the church in Corinth was immersed in Greek culture. And Greek culture, um, that culture served a pantheon of gods, many gods, not the least of which is the goddess Artemis. We know her as the goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility. Every day in the temple of Artemis, thousands of prostitutes would flock up to the temple and they would worship their god, this god of sexual fertility. 
And then in the evenings what would happen is a thousand temple prostitutes would come down and they would infiltrate the streets and they'd be looking for men, any man, wayward, godly, it didn't matter. They were looking for men to have sex with because that was their act of worship to their God. And so it's within that framework that Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 20. And I'm going to read this out of the Message Bible because Eugene Peterson does a masterful job, I think, with capturing the essence of what the Apostle Paul was trying to say. He says, since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. And since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving one more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with one another. Or don't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God has paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in you through your body, through how you keep your body pure. Because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit family, when we sin against our own bodies, sexually it's like, tearing the Holy Spirit out of the temple and replacing him with an idol God. It's like, it's like tearing the Holy Spirit out of the temple that he houses himself in and replacing him with an idol God. If you're a follower of Christ, your body does not belong to you. The Bible tells us we've been purchased by the blood of Christ, that our bodies belong to God, that we are the bride of Christ, his most cherished possession. And so Scripture tells us that we're to honor God with our bodies by abstaining from sexual immorality. Listen, there are, there are three things the Bible tells us that we need to flee from. Three, only three. One of those is sexual immorality. 
In, in this same chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. That word flee is written in the present tense, which means it means really continue to be fleeing. Continue to run. Continue to flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because you cannot resist it. You cannot stand in the face of it and resist it. You can't. Many a good man better than me have fallen to the temptation of sexual sin. Many a good woman, many a good young man and young woman have fallen to the sexual, the, the temptation of sexual sin. Don't think for a second that you're something special and you have the willpower because you cannot, you will not resist it. You will fall. Paul says flee. So how do we do that? Let me give you some practical ways to avoid sexual temptation if you're unmarried. And I believe that this will help you set some boundaries for sexual purity. First, reduce alone time with people that you're attracted to. Avoid compromising situations. Don't put yourself in a position where you have to say no because you won't. So I love the way Doug Field says it in his video, The Truth About Sex. He says it this way. Don't put yourself in compromising positions. He said, listen, keep the clothes on, keep the lights on, and stay upright. <laughs> That'll do it. Demand sexual purity from yourself and from the others that you, that you are in relationship with, pursue godly relationships, and then pursue intimacy with God. I love what Lee said. Sexual purity is nothing but devotion to God. It's finding our identity in him. Listen, it's finding our identity in him and not in our wives or in our spouse or in our girlfriend or in our boyfriend. It's finding our pure devotion and intimacy and identity in him and him alone. Sexual purity paves the way to intimacy with God right now and preserves you for intimacy later on when you meet your life's partner, your marriage partner. So whether you're a man here or a woman, if you are successfully abstaining from sexual immorality, I want to commend you. That's awesome. Reserving your body for your future mate will be worth the wait. So when it comes to sexual intimacy, if you're not married, don't do it. Wait. I feel my help coming, though. If you're married, don't wait. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Worship. Yeah, that's right. Listen, Paul makes it very clear. You see, I'm rubbing my hands now. I'm married, glory to God. Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. He said that one purpose, one purpose, everybody say one purpose. 
One purpose for marriage is to avoid sexual immorality. Look what he says. He says, now for the matters that I wrote to you about, I was talking to you about that earlier. It is good for a man not to marry. That's a totally different message right there. I won't preach it today, though. It is good for a man not to marry, but since there is so much Immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband in the same way. The husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to the wife. Listen, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, man, you can't be holding out on your woman. Listen, woman, you cannot be holding out on your man. I figured I'd get a better amen from the married folks in here. Have mercy, Jesus. You can't be holding out. Listen, listen, remember, remember, sex in the, in the confines of marriage, in the bond of marriage is not a weapon to be used. It's a gift. And so if you're married, don't not do it. Worship. Now, my wife and I have this rule regarding sexual relationships, and it's served us well through, through all the years. You guys want to hear it? I ain't telling you. You go make your own rules. Just so nosy up and down. Just nosy. Just nosy. Lee, you can bring your team up. So what do I do, Pastor Greg, right now if I'm involved in sexual immorality? If I find myself, you know what, I'm, somebody said stop, but you know what, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Here's the thing. I learned this a long time ago. This will serve you well, especially parents. You know, we used to say in our church, I thank God for saving me from a miserable life of sin. But let me tell you something, all sin ain't miserable. All sin ain't miserable. Matter of fact, there were some sins that I used to look forward to on a regular basis. Now, we know that the end result of sin is death, but if all sin was miserable, we wouldn't have to be preaching every Sunday about the same thing. That's a good place to say amen. So all sin is not miserable. So how do I quit? How do I get out of this thing, Pastor Greg? I, I, I want to get out. Let me give you a practical, practical way. The first thing you need to do is understand that the writer of the, of the Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 that we have a great high priest that understands what we're going through. He knows the temptation that we face. He knows the pain that we face. He was tempted in every single way, including physical intimacy. The Bible says in every way, he just didn't sin. And so he understands. And he said, I'll meet you in your struggle, and I will walk with you through it. But here's what you need to do. You need to follow his plan. And here's his plan. 1 John 1 and 9 tells us that if we, are, if we will just confess our sins, 
that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that look like? It means that if you're caught, if you're caught in this trap of sexual immorality and you, you want to get free, but you can't, you've tried, you can't. First thing you have to do is admit it. God, I am powerless to do anything about this. I've tried everything that I know, and this thing still grips me. I can't get away from it. Second thing you need to do is confess it. Lord, I just I want to surrender this thing to you because I know only you can give me the power to change permanently. And then the third thing that you have to do is ask for help. Because if you could do this thing alone, you'd have already been successful at it. So the Bible tells us in James to confess our faults one to another. It doesn't say go tell everybody your problems. Find a person that can agree and walk with you and hold what you're struggling with in confidentiality. And you go to that person and you say, I need help. Will you walk with me through this? Can I, can I hold myself accountable to you to get through this? And if you'll do those things, You'll find the enemy will no longer be able to isolate you, and it'll be easier for the power of God to break that grip of sin over your life. But you have to ask. I want to close with this passage in the, from the book of Joshua, or Deuteronomy, actually. Chapter 30, verse 19. I told you I was going to set a crossroad in front of you. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. For I have set before you life and death. God's way or the world's way. Blessings and cursing. God's way or the world's way? And then the Bible tells us, I'm going to tell you what to choose. Choose life so that you and your family, those who are connected to you, can experience the joy, the joy that comes with a life that's devoted to God in sexual purity, sexual intimacy. I want you to bow your heads with me. I may be talking to you this morning. This message might have hit you right across the forehead, and that's, that's what the Word of God does. And if you're here and you're struggling with a sexual issue, all you have to do is, is ask God to help you. That's your start. So if you're sitting there right now and you need God's help, all you have to do is just pray this prayer with me. Dear God in heaven, I am sorry for my sins. I need you, Lord Jesus. 
to come to my rescue. I need you to come to my rescue. I'm going to surrender this to you because I'm tired of wrestling with it. Will you come in my life and will you show me what I need to do to eradicate this thing out of my life and who I need to go to to confess to, to be accountable to as I draw closer to you. I denounce my sin. I invite you into my heart, into my life to take control of this area of my life, to set me free. And if you prayed that prayer and you really, really believe it, the Holy Spirit is not far from you. The mighty counselor will show you the ways of God, show you how you can be free today. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Help us to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you and let it keep us from the ways of the world. Draw us closer to you. That in the end, our lives will be lives that you are satisfied with and completely honored by. Help us to find our identity and our intimacy in you. For it is you who have made us. And we love you. In Christ's name, amen.